Welcome everyone to the season finale of our virtual coffee break with the MSU Extension Dairy Team. As our fifth season draws to a close, we have another good episode to wrap up this season. Educator John Laporte talks with Dr. Matt Kamens from Michigan State University Extension. Planning your purchases is key not only to capitalize on opportunity but also to manage your risk. Due to this, they will center their discussion around input purchasing strategies and how to approach those expenses that are key to manage in order to be profitable. John, let's get started. Well, thank you, Martin. My name is John Laporte. I'm going to be kind of leading the discussion today. Joining me is Matt Gammons. Matt, we're going to talk today about input purchasing strategies and really what that means and how that can be applied to uh, dairy farms specifically. It's something we've been talking with people about in terms of trying to way through some of the kind of difficult decisions there are with some of the volatility that's in the input markets and some of the high costs that we're expecting for farmers going into 2023. So this idea of strategizing the input purchases, I want to kind of get us started really talking about what kind of goes into the ideas and concepts behind these strategies and, and kind of where this kind of comes from. So take a moment uh, here to really talk about the, the thoughts and ideas of these purchasing strategies and what we're really going to kind of frame this conversation around today. Thanks, John. Um, yeah, so I think in broad strokes, a lot of kind of the the goals and strategies that we're going to be talking about are, are pretty similar to the types of things that we would recommend for, for row crop farmers. Um, but there are, you know, obviously unique elements of the dairy industry that are going to make things a little bit different. But I think the top line goal of this discussion about purchasing strategies is really about risk management, right? So farmers face so many risks from so many different places, you know, weather, prices, things breaking, capital depreciation uh, rates. So, so everything is risky. I mean, kind of are there steps that when we think about getting the inputs that we need that can make that a little bit less risky? And you know, as you know, we think that kind of a, a good a good plan can help with that. And a good plan's got, uh, you know, like any kind of plan, there's, there's different parts to it. There's kind of the overall goals that we have set up for our plan, kind of the objectives of what we're going to try to achieve with these plans. And then there's some other components that go along. Since we're talking about inputs and buying things, there's some things around pricing and maybe some pricing tools, but then also some thought process on some deadlines of when we want to try to make some of these decisions by that we want to also talk about. Now, because we're talking about farming and inputs, uh, even as we think about some of the things unique to dairy farms, there's some things that we watch in terms of market conditions that really kind of play into this. For those that raise their own feed on dairy farm, there's been a lot of talk about the inputs that go into the crop. So, for example, fertilizer has been in the news a lot the past few years, especially this year. And feed is is a huge component of inputs for, for dairy farms. So people that are raising either corn, corn silage, those type of crops are, are kind of looking at some of those inputs like fertilizer. And then we've, we've got a, some of the folks that are buying their feed with some different vantage points here. If we're thinking about an input purchasing plan on the inputs necessity to uh, that's farming operations, specifically how the dairy is set up is really important. Matt, could you talk a bit about how farms that grow their own feed as we kind of think about those people first, 
would really benefit from kind of planning ahead and thinking about strategizing with a, a, an input purchasing plan? Yeah, I, I want to kind of back up just a minute and make make one more point kind of about the plan. So, you know, it's an input purchasing plan, right? So two words. So the, so the first word is input. So you really need to know kind of what inputs do you need? So that that's the number one plan. And this is a point that I, I made kind of on our, our other discussion too, was this is really kind of agronomically driven. Like what inputs do you need for your operation? Kind of that, that comes first. And then we want to think about you know, pricing and getting good prices and kind of the, the purchasing part of the plan. But the, the first plan is, you know, make a list of what you need. And that's going to be different, obviously, for folks who are planning on growing a lot of their own feed uh, and people people who aren't. So for people who are going to be kind of growing a lot of their own feed, I mean, a lot of their inputs are, are similar to fertilizer, seed, um, chemicals that we'd see kind of in any other you know, row crop operation. So for that, you know, having a, a list of w- what you need um, and when do you need it by, um, you know, probably March, uh, you'd want to definitely have 100% of that, um, you know, having that plan written down is kind of the, the first step. And then kind of once you have that list, starting to kind of follow the market and understand kind of what sort of prices are out there so that you can know a good price when you see it, basically. That's kind of the, the simple two, two-step um, overview of kind of how I think about it, an input purchasing plan. And we're not talking about anything that's really revolutionary with with the points you brought up in terms of thinking about well, what do we need? What what are we going to grow? What are we what are we going to have to do to make sure what we're growing is actually matures well and has good yield, good production numbers? Uh, any of those chemical concerns? What what pests are we trying to really try to prevent uh, from impacting that crop we're growing? Our farmers are doing that every year. It's it's not something new to them that we're really talking about. It's it's really taking those things they're already doing and kind of being intentional, isn't it, about kind of looking at the inputs and how to go buy those things? Yeah, I don't think there's anything really, really new under the sun here. It's really just a matter of kind of having a, a concrete plan and, and having that plan in the fall so that you can kind of execute it throughout the winter. That's just going to put you in a one, a better position to manage your risk by spreading out purchases, kind of not buying all of it at one time at one price. You know, that's going to protect you on the risk side a little bit. And then two, just, you know, staying organized and making sure that kind of when spring comes around, you know, you have the inputs that you need. Let me turn a question back to you, John. So that's sure. sort of kind of a bit of people, a little bit more focus on people who are planning on growing their own feed. For folks who their agronomic plan is, well, I want to go out and buy most of my feed. Kind of how how would that how would that differ? Do you think in the timing, or or what would that plan maybe look like? Well, I I think there's a lot of similarities there because feed is is a huge input cost for for dairy farms. It's usually somewhere between fifty to sixty percent of what they're they're looking to buy, or at least to have on hand, whether they're growing it or they're buying it directly. And and even those that raise their own feed, there's usually some purchased elements there too. And there's I think that corn component that's always a big part of feed really kind of lines the same level of timing that comes in there because as you're watching the these other inputs a lot of things are kind of correlated to that corn price and so as that corn price goes up and we have some kind of typical market conditions uh, market trends we see every year I think people that are buying their feed can still kind of follow those to think about when is when is that feed cost for especially the things that are driven off the corn price when is that going to be its highest? When is it typically its lowest? But then even following, you know, like this year, we've we've had a lot of volatility in, in the corn markets, uh, especially the last couple of months, trying to figure out things domestically versus globally. I think even people buying their purchase feed can still benefit of kind of paying attention, like you mentioned, those market conditions and and really being able to 
kind of plan ahead and think about how much do I want to buy and kind of strategically set myself up to manage the risk of those feed prices going up really high. I think it's really important. So I think it's something that applies to both sides. I don't think it's just the the, the people that are growing their own feed. Uh, even those that are mainly buying their feed can still benefit from it. Uh, and a lot of the things still still kind of apply. One of the things that you and I have talked about with this is the importance of storage, if you've got storage. Talk a little bit about how that kind of factors into this idea of uh, being strategic or, or you know, thinking about strategies of buying inputs. I mean, storage is a great you know, a great asset to use and to have if, if you have it. One point that I, I always like to make with storage is, is uh, I think a lot of times people, you know, they're not too worried whether it's filled or not, because, you know, maybe it's already paid for, or maybe it doesn't seem like a cost. But, um, you know, from a, an economist perspective, you know, an empty storage, uh, that's a cost. That That's an opportunity cost that you're not taking advantage of. That's capital that you have on your farm that, you know, you could be putting to work to make money for you. Um, so sitting there empty is kind of not not ideal. That said, you know, you don't want to, you know, don't want to fill it just for the sake of filling it. But um, it does give you flexibility to kind of take advantage of some of those kind of early, earlier season price discounts and, and fill up on some of these inputs. And then and then also to buy at a great price, right? You know, you, you're kind of more relaxed on the on the timing, because you don't have that, that capacity constraint there. So, um, you know, if you have storage, definitely be looking for opportunities to use it. Because, um, you know, that, that's something that you paid for, um, and you want it to make money for you. Well, and, and there are still some some kind of operational costs that go along with that that maybe we don't think about. And we have in the background that, you know, we've got an asset sitting there that it kind of even just sitting there over time, it gets some wear and tear to it. There's some, maybe some maintenance things we're going to have to do, especially to building or kind of any storage facility. And so you've got any kind of repairs, there's some depreciation costs that are in there that you know, eventually we're going to have to either replace or really do some significant improvement. So if we're not utilizing that storage to make us money, it's still technically costing the operation something even just sitting there. And so, yeah, it's always good to use that. Uh, and I, I always think back to my favorite analogy to kind of make that point is, People hear about this all the time in the trucking industry that, you know, if, if we're hauling one way with a load, but we're hauling back home or, or to another location without anything, you know, that that trip of an empty truck and an empty haul is is not making us any money, but it's certainly costing us money going down the road. Well, you, the buildings and the storage units that farms have got, it's kind of the same idea. And it really helps if you're thinking about in terms of trying to think about what to purchase and the quantities that, you know, as we're thinking about which products we want to buy, what kind of advice would you have, especially if we're thinking about utilizing our storage? How do we how do we decide which which inputs we should really target first or target the most? Yeah, so I think if you do have storage on farm, I think it makes sense to really look for the, the highest quantity input as kind of your first priority. So the thing that you're going to need the most of, procure that first um, and try and get kind of the, the best price for that. And and then kind of the other other inputs can be kind of worried about down the road, but focusing on one getting getting what you need that has the most quantity. So the, the high quantity inputs focusing on that and then making sure that, you know, if you're hearing rumors about, you know, supply supply constraints where, you know, a certain input might not be available at all in your region. That's something that you want to snag when you can get it to. So, again, I'm kind of drawing this distinction. There's there's two things here. There's, you know, the, the inputs that we really need. And then there's, you know, how can we get them at a good price? So. Um, and then how can we get them at all, right? So, um, you know, the, the it, it, from a kind of operational standpoint, you really want to focus on the quantities. From a purchaser standpoint, 
if, if it's not going to be available, then you, you want to get that first. And if you're talking about somebody that uh, even if they're buying fee and you're, you're kind of targeting those those higher quantities, there's there's some kind of steps that, that we've talked about that people can think through in terms of really trying to get the, the best price, but also securing the, the product. Because there are some supply concerns, depending on the input that you're talking about, uh, that the farm may be looking for that maybe come into play. Uh, you and I have talked about, you know, talking to you know more than one retailer is a really good idea. Kind of get an idea, not only what, what prices are, but what's the availability like there. Then kind of do some comparison to uh, what's going on in the, the commodity markets. Because some of our dairy farms, we've got some that use all of anything they, they raise, any of the crops they raise for feed. But then there are some that they actually sell some of those crops too. They've, they have enough excess to sell. So Maybe looking at what's going on commodity prices. I know you're you're a huge advocate of thinking about maybe doing some marketing at the same time you're buying. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah, kind of on, on the marketing. When we when we talk about marketing, we're talking about basically trying to make a sale and a purchase of something at the same time. Because this is again always trying to shrink that risk distribution, right? So, um, you, you know, there's you can see these. Everyone knows, right? You know, we're not telling you anything new. These markets are super interconnected, right? Feed, corn, natural gas, fertilizer, all these markets are connected. These, these things are moving together. Kind of across time, we can see big differences in the prices of all of these things. So when we kind of make purchases and sales at the same time, we're exposing ourselves to, to less risk. We're kind of taking out some of that, that time, time varying risk. Basically, we're avoiding the bad sit scenario where we're we're selling things at a low price and then buying at a high price. That's the nightmare, right? That's what we really don't want. So when we're talking about marketing, we're talking about making a purchase of inputs at the same time that you either kind of sell out of storage um, your commodity or use marketing tools to basically forward contract for the next year. Now, I do think kind of forward contracting, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, John, but I, I think that that is not as useful of a, of a tool um, for, for someone who maybe doesn't completely know their, their feed needs yet, right? So you, you don't want to forward contract kind of beyond what you might need um, for feed. So you, you're a little more limited in, in how much you can forward contract. You know, So someone who's just out there growing corn, right, they can forward contract pretty much up to 80% of an anticipated yield. That, that, that maybe isn't kind of the, the level that would be recommended for someone who's potentially going to be using a lot of this on farm. It, it, does that sound right to you, John? Oh, yeah, that's exactly right. Because you, you need to know what your farm actually has for a typical need, especially if, if your operation has been kind of, you know, if you're not growing or expanding the herd size, you maybe have a little bit of an idea of what you typically have left over in a, in a year that you can maybe do a little bit of, of marketing, maybe you do a little bit of forward contracting, but but certainly identifying those feed needs first before getting too carried away with the marketing, I, I think is a really good practice. But understanding that there's that opportunity there is really important to to be able to think about, well, we if we've typically got, you know, so much that we sell, maybe even a percentage of that, that to do a little bit of marketing to at least offset some of that risk. Cause you're right. It's, it's all about risk management and really trying to uh, reduce the exposure to the different types of risks that are out there in the market. And that kind of goes along with kind of thinking through how much is even bought let alone how much is sold on the selling side, but how much you actually would be buying of an input. Because we've talked about that the number of purchases kind of helps in terms of that risk management too, doesn't it? Yeah, I just want to make one more one more point on that that last one. So, so we talked about the forward contracting. Um, that's a great tool, uh, but also cash sales, right? You know, if you're selling to the cash market at the same time, that's reducing your risk too. So, 
Um, so, so cash sales can, you know, we normally don't think of cash sales as reducing risk, but in this case, when you're timing them along with a purchase, they absolutely are. So that's one way to mitigate risk. And, and another way is, you know, you, you don't want to kind of have all of your input quantities purchased at one time. And this is totally kind of a parallel analogy to the output side, where you don't want to kind of sell all of your crop at, at one price. You want to kind of have it sold at different times through different tools same on the purchasing side. So having a good chunk of your purchases made in the fall, uh, a bit more in January, and maybe you know just a little bit towards the end, although that that that's kind of exposing yourself so, to some price risk as well. But spreading it throughout the winter as you get into the spring planting season, that's a great way to make sure that you're not kind of going all in on one price. And you know, I think people might see a good price and, and be tempted to to go to go in a little more. And, and if it's a profitable number for your farm, I, I think I'm sympathetic to that. But that said, you know, the, the price risk work, works both ways, right? Prices can go up, and we've certainly seen a lot of that. But they can go down too, and you can kind of be wishing that you had you know a little bit more uh, of a need to fill there. So so spreading that out is is going to be reducing your risk, kind of regardless uh, of where prices go over the long run. It's a less variant strategy. Yeah. And, and one of the things that I think people should be looking to go along with it is they're thinking about how many purchases they're looking at is uh, we, we've spent some time trying to look at, you know, where, where are some price savings tools, like some discounts or maybe some financing programs to try to kind of help give some guidance on that a little bit, because where you can maximize saving on the on the input purchase side of it, using some of those so savings tools, as we kind of call them where you may be a really good advantage where you buy a little bit more of one product because there's a better discount for that at that time, or maybe there's a good financing program there that helps save you some dollars, kind of is important to factor into some of those buying decisions because that that may impact the quantity you want to buy a little bit, but still trying to think about can we can we stretch out these purchases a little bit to spread out that risk a little bit is uh, an important part of that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if there's if there's opportunities for discounts, that that kind of is a is a first priority thing. I, I would I would really kind of put, you know, if you, if your needs put you if your needs are high enough such that you can qualify, if you kind of lump these together, that would be an exception, I think, to to spreading out purchases. And again, these markets are really linked, right? So you can procure all of one input, um, and then kind of be holding off on a, a different input, and that is still reducing your risk um, because these markets are so linked. Um, anytime you're spacing out purchases in time that's going to be decreasing your risk. That actually feeds into the the, the other thought here. Of we, we haven't talked yet about decision deadlines and kind of thinking about when to make some of these decisions. And you've got all these factors that are floating around, all these different connections to markets. And the, the idea of, okay, the decision deadline, well, well what is that? And, and how do we use that? You know, all of this information kind of floating around. Decision deadlines really kind of help us to to kind of focus in and make it make that decision, right? Yeah, the decision deadlines are really, they're just a good a good excuse to commit yourself to ahead of time so that you feel empowered to, to, to pull the trigger on, on a purchase, even if it's at a price that you know you wish it was lower. You know, having these deadlines in place kind of just help you make sure that you don't end up in a situation uh, where it's February and prices are high and you don't have any of your inputs. I mean, that's, that's again, a situation we're trying to avoid. So um, yeah, the decision tools are, uh, deadlines are really just tools for you um, to try and kind of like tie your hands to some extent and like, you know, I know that really by this time of year, I ought to have this chunk of my inputs procured. Well, and, and the other nice thing about decision deadlines is part of that is looking at 
all this information there and saying, okay, this we've we've got some price targets that we set up. We've got an idea of where we want to be in terms of what we're buying. And like you said, it may not be the the best price. We may wish it was a little bit lower, but if we've got an idea of what we're kind of setting up and and where we want to be price wise, we can kind of gauge of well, do we really want to buy or do we want to go maybe we've got a series of you know all these different purchases we're talking about maybe we we go back and say well we're not really liking this price because it's really out there compared to where we want it to be we think the price is going to be a little bit better on by the time we get to the next decision deadline and maybe we we shift our quantity purchase at that point to kind of make up some of the difference there because you don't have to necessarily say you know by this date i'm i'm going to be buying unless you're like you said you're getting close to february and you kind of have to have this stuff now you're kind of thinking i need to i need an exit strategy i need to get out of the buying mode and i need to be thinking about if i'm if i'm going in to be planting crops i need to be kind of focusing on what those what my needs are to kind of get that rolling if if i'm uh, doing any of that kind of work even if you're purchasing feed you you kind of know when hey the feed costs are going to start getting really higher if I get to this point. I need to make sure I've got my my needs kind of set by at least this final deadline. So that's that's the other side of those decision uh, deadlines is kind of thinking about when's, when's my exit strategy kind of start that I've got to get out of there, but I've got some leeway to kind of play around with the market numbers and kind of what's out there for buying opportunities. And I think that's really important too, because that kind of comes back overall to this idea of what's your overall plan for your purchasing strategy of it's not it's not just necessarily to get things at the cheapest it's like you said it's trying to get to this idea of we we're not he's sitting there at the time where we're right up against the deadline we got to buy it all and we're we're at the mercy whatever the high prices may be exactly and that's kind of part of why when we talk about price targets we get less ambitious as the winter goes along i'll, I'll put it that way so you know at the beginning of kind of the winter um, at the beginning of you know what we might call kind of an input procurement season um, I, I think it's okay to kind of be pretty ambitious and say, you know, I'm only interested in buying if I can really kind of get get a price that's really going to be great for my farm. Um, so maybe looking for those big kind of discounts from suppliers, you know, getting a 5% discount, a 10% discount relative to a broader market price. Um, you know, that's great. In January, or certainly early February, you know, if you're getting the market price, that, that seems good, right? I mean, at that point in time, like, if that's, um, you know, you need to be procuring these inputs one way or another. So, you know, if you're getting a price that's similar to your neighbors, if you've called a few retailers and gotten quoted from a few different places and everyone's in the same ballpark, you know, that that would not be the time to kind of hold out hope for for some decrease in prices. So, um, so yeah, we want to have a plan, um, but then we want to have a little bit of flexibility. So I, this can sound, kind of sound a little contradictory and may, maybe it is, but, um, you know, we, we, we have goals um, for both quantities and prices. And if, Kind of we're not meeting our price goals we might kind of undershoot our quantity goals still get some of it but kind of undershoot our quantity goals if we're really exceeding our price goals and we're getting a great price then we're going to want to bump up and kind of do more than our goal was for quantities so um so yeah they're, they're kind of contradictory but you can think of it as like you know quantity goal price goal and then kind of averaging out to, to meeting your goals well, and we can we can kind of set these plans up for different inputs too. So as you're kind of thinking about the costs we need and and trying to bring down some of our overall costs, we maybe do buy more of one product at one time of the year, and then we come back to the other products that we got to come back to our budget and say we still need to kind of secure these items. And so it kind of gives you a little bit of idea to maximize your cash and kind of prioritize which products we want to get and when the better opportunities are. It's 
trying to at least kind of have some kind of intentional thought process and of being uh, of buying some of these products is really what we're we're trying to get people to think about here, especially this time of year because a lot of times people say when when I talk to them about input purchasing they're like well isn't the goal just to you know get everything the cheapest we can but this time of year we've also got you know tax management to concern and so that might be part of your rationale in terms of what you're buying on this side of the calendar year where you know we're in December we need to buy some of these inputs for next year but we're also worried about paying too much in income taxes so that maybe gets factored into well maybe we buy so much of these this end of the year and then we really ramp up the rest of our purchasing as we flip over to January and then make sure we're not caught right, like you mentioned, Matt, towards the end of February, early March, if we're if we're doing any kind of planting of crops and having to, to buy it all at once there. Matt, we're kind of come up here uh, on the, the end of our discussion here. I want to kind of open up to you. Any final thoughts that you want to share about uh, input pricing strategies to to help these farmers kind of think about improving their, their profitability for the next year? Yeah, I think I just kind of reiterate some of my my old my old points that this is this is really not anything new. Um, you know, pe- people are already doing this. Like people already have a good intuition of you know what a good price is, and people already have an intuition. You don't need you don't need someone at MSU to tell you that you need inputs before you plant. Like this is not this is not anything new. Uh, but I do think that there is value, and there's there's been kind of studies outside of economics and psychology studies and sociology that that really shows that like a plan can really reduce your stress um, and kind of lead to success year in and year out, you know, on average, you know, people who have a plan written down, shared with, you know, maybe their lender, maybe their spouse, um, you know, on paper, and John's made up some great worksheets for you to put it on paper. um, You know, these plans are really going to, you know, help you reduce your risk. And, And it's, I really would emphasize that risk reduction part more than kind of a cost reduction part. So I, I do think that a good plan can reduce your costs, but I think what it really does is it reduces your your risks. And so, you know, if you're if you're kind of know your cost of production and you're, you know, hitting above that most years, which is what you want, a plan is going to help you kind of, you know, stabilize that and and make that consistent. That's great, Matt. And thank you. I I, I want to highlight for everybody that uh, the resources you're talking about, we have uh, some different resources for people on this subject of input buying, some templates to look at. They're at the MSU Farm Management website. And Matt, I w- just want to say thanks again for joining me today for this discussion on input purchasing strategies. hope it's uh, something that the listeners get something out of. I, I know that uh, we find it beneficial for people thinking to, as you mentioned, reduce their risk and kind of in some ways reduce the stress that goes along with buying some of these things. So hope it's uh, helpful to our listeners here. Thanks so much, John. That was really fun. Thank you, John and Dr. Gammons for the strategies shared today. I want to let our listeners know that the resources John talked about during the episode can also be found in the episode description. I would like to take the time to thank you, our listeners, for supporting this program during this fifth season. As you support us, we will continue to grow and provide educational programming for you. We always appreciate your input and feedback and you can reach out to us with comments, questions, or topics you want to learn about. Please reach us at C-A-R-R-A-S-Q1 at msu.edu. Stay tuned and be on the lookout for our Hot Topic episodes that can be released at any point during the year. Otherwise, we will be back with the sixth season next spring. And I hope you'll join us then.